Well, we continue our preaching series called The Afterlife, and I want to welcome all of our guests once again. Thanks so much for coming, all those of you, uh, whether you're maybe up at the top or down in the floor here this morning, and those of us who are watching online, we know that a lot of times you're going to watch online before you ever come through our doors. want to look forward to welcoming and maybe meeting you in person, and we continue our preaching series called The Afterlife, and last week we looked at Revelation 21, John's vision of heaven. Today we're going to be in Revelation 22. If you'd like to get out your Bible or a smartphone or a tablet, follow along Revelation 22, the last book of the Bible, very, very end of the Bible. And we're going to be there this morning. We're going to use it as a springboard as we continue to study. Would you uh, stand for the reading of God's Word? Verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Look up here for a second. That means there's going to be no more death, no more sickness. No more hurt, no more pain, right? John continues, The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. And they will see His face, meaning His righteous, awesome, wonderful face that we're going to see of God. Verse 5, There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Pray with me. God, thank You so much for Your Word. And thank You that it gives us a glimpse of what is to come. We have so much to be grateful for and so much to look forward for. In your name we pray, God. Amen. You can be seated. You know, when we read these words, we begin to fathom, we begin to grasp that God's glory is going to shine in the city. It's going to pervade all throughout the land and all that's going to happen. And that's going to be wonderful But even more wonderful in many ways is that sinners, jacked up, messed up, imperfect people like this man that stands before you is going to be declared righteous, made righteous in heaven. And that, my friends, is more wonderful than anything that I could ever imagine. And when we read this scripture and when we read these words and the beauty and the hope of what is to come, it should inform our life in such a way that it should change our life. It should transform our life. The way, the way we spend and the way we serve and the way we give and the way we, we, we communicate, it should alter our life from every single area, permeate every single situation. Reminds me of the man... He was on his deathbed. He was in his home, second story of his house, and he was literally next to his last breath. He was laying there in his bed thinking this may be his last breath, and then right before that last breath came, he smelled something. He smelled his favorite smell, his wife's homemade chocolate chip cookies. Comes wafting up the stairs, and all of a sudden there's a new vigor in his step. All of a sudden he's alive again, and he gets out of that bed, and he begins to wobble his way to the stairs. He grabs the handrail, and he begins to walk down the stairs little bit by little bit. He gets to the floor, and he just collapses to the main floor. And he gets on his knees, and he looks up to the table. And there on newspaper are hundreds and hundreds of chocolate chip cookies. He goes, oh, 
what in the world did she do that for? Am I in heaven or maybe my, it's my one last act my wife created uh, so that she, I could send and go into heaven on a great, great note? Regardless, he began to crawl across the kitchen floor all the way to the table. And on his knees, hit one hand, he, begin, he feels up on the table and grabs that warm chocolate chip cookie and old parched lips open and a chocolate chip cookie goes in and begins to eat it. Oh, it's so very good. And then the other hand goes up to grab another one. And as he grabs another chocolate chip cookie, bam, spatula hits his right hand and there is his wife staring at him. Very stern look and she says, don't touch those cookies. Those are for your funeral. I thought it was pretty funny too, you know? I, I thought there's another cheesy preacher joke for you. He smelled it, he grasped it, he fathomed it, and it changed his life. And as we begin to smell it and grasp it and fathom heaven, oh, it should change our life. When we begin to live in light of heaven, things are altered and things are changed. And I want to share with you what those may be if you have your listening guide you can get it out and you can follow along with me and you can learn. The first reason why we should live in light of heaven is that it puts our pain into perspective. It puts our pain into perspective. We all encounter pain. Luke chapter 6, verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leave for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. 1 Peter 4.13 says, But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. When we live in light of heaven, it puts our pain into its proper perspective. It doesn't take away our pain, but it sure does give us optimism in the middle of our pain. There was a little girl, she was five, and she was given a very tragic death sentence because of a disease that she carried. And that disease would only allow her to have a couple of more months on this earth to live. And her mom wanted her to understand the promise of heaven, but the, the girl was torn because the girl didn't want to leave her family. She loved very, so very much. And so she said, mom, I don't want to leave this earth. But her mom said, but sweetheart, you have heaven to look forward to. What a wonderful day that will be. So her mom, wanting to illustrate the point, took her daughter to a room set aside. And one by one, one family member after the other would be welcomed into the room and there'd be a great joy. Such is the case of heaven. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will go to heaven that you will, you will reunite with other followers that you know, past and in future. And what a great celebration and homegoing it truly will be. And there will be given new bodies. There, all of our five senses will be greatly awakened. There will be unbelievable joy. And we will experience what we've never experienced on this earth. One author, he says it this way. This earthly body is slow. In heaven, in all its motions, listless and soon tired with action. But our heavenly bodies shall be as fire, as active, and as nimble as our thoughts are. That even in this place, death itself will no longer be. Paul said, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to destroy is death. Romans chapter 8, Paul says in 35, We who can separate us from the love of Christ can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Then later on in verse 38, he says, For I am 
persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to ask you this morning a question. No matter how young or old you are, all of us in this room lean forward for this. What pain are you struggling with today? What is staring you in the face? Maybe it's uh, your body's getting older and it's depressing. You know, I can relate on some matters. Things just don't work like they used to in some parts of my body. Like, how can you be sore there? And it's depressing. And, but the good news is you're going to be given a new body. And that new body, there will be no more soreness or aches or pains. Or maybe you know someone going through a deadly disease cancer or whatever it may be, and they're in pain. What a great reminder that in the middle of the pain, there is perspective of one day there will be no more pain. Or maybe perhaps it's not physical pain you're going through, but it's emotional pain. It's relational pain. And right now there was a breakup or there was a divorce or there was something that has brought you to your knees. And right now you can't think anything other than what's going on. You think that the walls are caving in and you don't know what to do in the middle of that pain. May living in light of heaven be your perspective. As, as parents, maybe you have little children or maybe you have teenagers, or maybe you have a grown adult children. You know that pain is a great teacher for, and a great moment of teaching for you to them. When somebody loses a ball game, or when there's a scuffed knee, or when there's a breakup in a relationship, or when something happens, what a great teaching moment as you as a parent able to come alongside and say, you know what? Won't that be great that one day there will be no more pain? Maybe you just lost, lost a family pet recently, and it was hard for you. I, I get the question a lot, uh, Ray, will my dog be in heaven? Well, we know that the Scripture says that, that God will remake the, 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 the earth. He'll also remake animals. And so I'll let you fill in the gaps if you believe that dogs go to heaven. But cats, there's no chance. Somebody in the first service asked, where did you get that? And I said, that is in the Ray's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 21 through 28. <laughs> no emails, please, no emails. <laughs> but living in light of heaven, it gives us perspective on our pain. The second reason why we need to live in light in view of heaven is it puts sin into perspective. 2 Peter 3.11 says, Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear that what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. You see, what this verse reminds me of is one specific day and one specific set of days for my life. The one specific day is the day that I got down on one knee and I gave a diamond ring that cost me a few bucks, more than a few bucks, 
to a beautiful woman named Sarah after she said, I do, I will marry you. And if you don't believe in miracles, maybe you're just like a doubter here today, you come see. The fact that this guy married the beautiful woman is all there is to prove that there is a God, okay? But then the consecutive set of days came into being. Because the day was chosen, June the 2nd, 2006, when I would get to pledge my life to that woman and nothing could get in the way of that goal for me. I was like a horse with, with, with blinders on, baby. And that was the goal and that was the time and nothing could get in that way come hell or high water. That day would happen. In the same way, when we begin to meditate on heaven and think of heaven and live in light of it, sin and all the distractions and all the temptations should fall by the wayside. We should see for what it really is. What it is is death. What it is is destruction, even though it looks good, because we have something coming that, man, is so much better than anything that we could find here now. The Apostle Paul says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Right now, you may be struggling with sin. You may be bound in addiction. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's lying or maybe it's pornography or maybe it's alcohol addiction or maybe it's some kind of a substance or maybe it's Gossip, or maybe it's overeating, or maybe there's something that's got its grip on you so much. Even when you try to break free, you can't break through, and you're like, there is not hope. You feel like you can never get out from the grasp of it. But when you put your eyes on heaven, all of a sudden you see it, and the shackles aren't so strong anymore. God encourages us. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Verse 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can hear or bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So may living in light of heaven help you to refuse sin, helping you to turn your eye away from sin. If you're struggling this morning, friend, would you repent of it? Would you get real with God right now in a moment? Would you tell a friend, would you, would you say, you know what, enough is enough because I've got something greater to live for. And the third reason why we should live in light of heaven, it puts our, our motivation into perspective. It puts our motivation into perspective. Anyone know what a bucket list is? Show of hands. Anyone know what a bucket list is? That's right. Most of us know what a bucket list is. Bucket list is um, we have a list of things that we want to do before we kick the, the bucket. Yeah, we've got to get these things in because we don't want to miss out. But if you're a follower of Christ, if you're not a follower of Christ, this isn't for you. But if you're a follower of Christ, you're like, that's me. I'm a Christian. If you're that person here today, you really don't need a bucket list. In fact, that may not actually be scriptural. Here's why. Because we think that we got to get these things in before we're going to be gone. But God is going to be remaking all things and even better. So you're not missing out on anything, my friend. So with that in, in mind, take that list race it, and then start creating a new list of what Scripture talks about and how it motivates us. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 
verse 10 real quickly with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, I mean, chapter 3, verse 10. It says this, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than one other already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to pause for a moment. All of those in this place that would say, that is me, I'm a Christ follower. Well, then Jesus is our foundation. And what he says and how he says it is our filter, is our filtration for life. Then look at verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Now, I want you to lean into verse 15. I'd like for you to highlight it, underline it, remember it, think about this process, think about what this is about to say. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Now, what is this saying? Well, what, what is being talked about here? Now, for a little context, Revelation 20. You can look at it later. Revelation 20, it talks about final judgment. It talks about hell. It talks about destruction. It talks about the stuff that it's not always fun to talk about. But the reason why it talks about it is, is, is because those are the things coming for those who are not in Christ. And for those who are in Christ, maybe your reaction to that would be like, whoo, man, thank God that's not for me. Man, I got my ticket. I've got a better way forward. But what I'm afraid is, is that we slip into this mindset and we forget the connection. There's a really big connection here, and I want you to understand it. Are you ready for this, okay? When our relationship with Christ begins, we're going to be tested with fire. All that we do is going to pass through a test of fire. And anything that doesn't pass the test will be burned up. I want to look even more fascinating. Look at it. The Bible says some of it will survive and some of it won't. Basically, some of us, we're just going to kind of jump over the flames and it's going to be such a close jump that like the hem of our garment is going to be singed. That's what you call a close call. Basically, there will be Christians that will not do anything that Christ asked them to do and they'll have nothing to show for their life in eternity. I think it's just fascinating, at the very least. There are Christ followers that will have grown up in church or some kind of Bible-believing community that, you know, they raised their hand or they said, yes, I want to be a follower of Christ. They meant it, and then they begin to follow him, and then they, somewhere along the line they went, said yes to being a follower of Christ through baptism. Maybe you've never done that. You need to do that. We'd love for you to be a part of that here at Graceland. But they never begin to obey what Christ had them to do. And so they're not going to have anything to show for their life. Now you're sitting there and you're scratching your head and you're thinking, okay, but I thought this church believed. I mean, it is called grace land, right? Like, I, 
I thought that salvation was free. It was a gift. And now it sounds like you have to work for it. No, 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 you're right. You're right. It is a gift. Salvation is a gift imparted to us, given to us by Christ. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is there are followers of Jesus that the minute you begin to follow Christ, that's not the minute that you put your feet up on the desk, you put your hand back like this, and you go, you know, like you're just chilling out, all right, and you're going, I, I got my ticket punched, man. I'm good to go. No, see, the minute you begin to follow Christ, you go, I got some work to do. I got to get rolling. I got heaven on the mind. That is my motivation because I have some treasures to lay up for the afterlife. Randy Alcorn says, understanding heaven doesn't just tell you what to do, but why? This last week, I, I finished my second message of the Sunday, and I walked out the doors and literally walked into our, into our vehicle, uh, had my mic still on, and we left for Ohio. We made it to my grandfather's visitation and his funeral the next day. I turned my mic off, thankfully. <laughs> And we went on our way. And I had a wonderful conversation with my family and, my, and so many friends about the last conversations that we had with my grandfather. I'll never forget the last words I shared with him before he would pass away. And you have loved ones in your life, don't you, that you remember those last conversations. You remember what you said. You remember where you were, don't you? Many of you do. You know, I've had the pleasure of uh, performing several funerals. And I've had the pleasure of actually sitting beside people, getting ready to pass on to the next life. And what's interesting is I've never heard them say, hey, Ray, will you go take a picture of the car in my garage and bring it to me? Hey, Ray, will you go grab that cookbook and bring it to my side? Hey, Ray, will you go grab my fly rod? I really want it right now. Hey, Ray, will you go get me my rifle? Hey, Ray, will you go get me that outfit? That, will you go, hey, Ray, will you go empty my bank account and then paste all of the $100 bills all over this room so I can look at them? You're thinking, well, that's silly. No one would do that. That's right. But the reason why I share it is that's the way we live. This last uh, few weeks, our church sent out a letter that I wrote, and uh, I opened it up. It's, there's nothing like getting a letter that you wrote in the mail. It's like, thanks, Ray. Appreciate that. Appreciate the kind thought. I opened it up, and it was a letter to share about what got, what's happening at Graceland and also to share, hey, we just want to make sure your giving records are correct. And so I looked at our giving record at the bottom, what my wife and I had given back to God. And I just kind of put it down for a second. I thought, thank you, Lord, that we've given away more this year than ever before. And look, I'm not, I'm not sharing this because I, I want you to pat me on the back or I'm not bragging. Hear my heart. My heartbeat here is that I'm so grateful because we're putting our money in places that's not going to burn. I want to ask you a question. What are you putting your resources towards? Is it going to burn? What are you living your life for? Is it going to burn? 
It's black and it's white, and, and Scripture is so encouraging to us. There's an old movie, one of my favorite old movies. It's called The Dead Poet Society, and starring Robin Williams. And there was a line in the movie, and it's carpe diem, seize the day. And I love that Latin phrase, and I love the idea of grabbing a hold of every moment that we can. And surely that's part of our theology, no doubt. But when we just live for today and we don't understand tomorrow, I don't feel like we're fully understanding the gravity of the situation. See, on the great white throne judgment, when Christ returns to finish the redemption of the new earth, our rewards are going to be given in accordance to what we've done. Paul would say it like this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether the good or bad. Whether we're nice to someone or maybe we share his gospel or we give a cold drink of water. Jesus would say, if anyone gives one cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you that person will certainly not lose their reward. You think about motivation for a moment and and why we live the way we live and what's the motivation behind it? If you were to study the, Old, the New Testament, I have a really good friend of mine who did an entire study of the New Testament. You know what he told me? He said, after studying all the New Testament, the number one motivator for all of the believers in the New Testament, you know what it was? Heaven. I think we need to get back to that. I think we need to grab a little bit more hold of heavenly perspective and motivation. We've gotten away from it. And I think the reason why we've gotten away from it is because we turn into these idol-making factories, don't we? We begin to celebrate, as he says, the, the gift as opposed to the giver. We celebrate the creation as opposed to the creator. One day we're not going to have to do that. We're going to get to heaven and God's going to look at us and we're going to celebrate him for all that he is. But I think we need to recapture the proper motivation of what to live for. Whether it's real, real, real small, giving a cold uh, drink of water, or whether it's giving all that we have away to him. Every single reward will be taken note of. Are you tired this morning? Are you weary? Are you just bent and worn out? I've got news for you. Don't quit. Don't grow weary in well-doing, as Paul would say, because our heavenly awards will await. So be on mission. So be on mission. Stay focused. Think of your time for a moment. Each of you has been given time. How much of it is being leveraged right now for heavenly reward? Think of the talents you have. You're all gifted. You're all so wonderfully wired in a wonderful way. How are you taking the talents you've been given, no matter what it is, and leveraging for heavenly rewards? Now I want you to think about your treasure. How much are you taking your assets, your your house, your accounts, your retirement, your checking account, your car, everything you have, and leveraging it for heavenly reward? Now you may say, well, what is that, Ray? Only God can tell you what that actually is. I have a good friend of mine. He makes maybe more money than maybe any of you in this room make. And they live in a very, very small little teeny house. And he gives away 90-something percent of his income away. And maybe you're not able to do that. I'm not able to do that. But what I love is the fact that we can ask the question as we mature as a believer, God, what do you want me to keep? And what do you want me to give? 
See, if we begin to think that way, if we begin to leverage what we have for the kingdom of God, what begins to happen is that we are storing up rewards. And one day we're going to hear this and Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few small things. Now I'm going to be put you in charge of all of this. Come and share in your master's happiness. There's a, a theologian, his name is Paul Marshall. And there's a, an image I want you to look at real quickly on the screen. It looks like this. Paul Marshall, he talks about two different types of theology. There's arc theology and then there's life raft theology. Paul Marshall, he, he talks about how a life raft theology basically looks like where you are in the life raft and you're paddling along and everything is going to hell in a handbasket. And there's no hope. And trying to do otherwise, it's like reorganizing the furniture on the Titanic, right? And there's no hope, and you're just trying to grab a couple people and keep rowing the life raft. The other type of theology is ark theology. It's connected to Noah, and that is, is that you and a group of people are, are part of God's calling to redeem and to restore and to move forward and to help God in his ultimate plan of redemption. You see, one, life about Life raft theology is escapism, and arc theology is where I want our church to be, is where I want to, to lock arms beside people who have this kind of mindset, who want to move forward, because this begins to have a profound effect on our faith. It's massive. So, my friends, let's live in light of heaven.